Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019. I am Broadway World's Matt Tiamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, we're going to start the show with a recommendation. There was this new article that I stumbled across online. It is called The Melody Lingers On in the Michael Friedman (laughs) and Jonathan Larson Projects from American Theater. Um, It was a really good read. I I wish I could find out who the author of that piece is. Yeah, some little known, uh, you know self-made nomadic thousand air self-made thousand (laughs) air yeah so this is your first ever piece in american theater yeah looking at the the i don't even know not archival uh, because they were new recordings but the albums that have come out commemorating some previously unheard works from Mm -hmm. both jonathan larson with the jonathan larson project right and michael friedman with the civilians releasing um three albums it's going to be a total of nine i believe right um uh, of of works that had never been recorded before so uh, do you want to give a, a real quick uh, elevator pitch as to what the piece is about in, uh, sure. in american theater yeah the entire piece is really about legacy and i mean in the history of theater the things that are recorded are not necessarily the best or the most important because that's always subjective but we've had these two very young composers Jonathan Larson and Michael Friedman die over the past two three decades where Jonathan Larson is obviously known specifically for Rent and increasingly tick tick boom but hadn't until the Jonathan Larson project really had any of his other work recorded and Jen Tepper and the folks of 54 Below did the Jonathan Larson project and as you said the civilians are now doing the Michael Friedman recording project and that's just all to catalog and uh, preserve all this work that's never been recorded so people can have it and listen to it perform it for the rest of time. Yeah, and it's so important because nowadays, if things aren't recorded as a cast album, musicals are almost completely forgotten. Exactly. Uh, And the longevity and the life of these two incredibly talented and boundary-pushing composers Mm -hmm. uh, needs to be preserved. But speaking of of boundary-pushing, I want to remind everybody that we are giving away two tickets to see Slave Play on Broadway. So uh, I have a link in the show notes where you can get all of that information. Please enter to get those tickets. And then also, of course, if you're going to enter the tickets, uh, enter the contest to get something for free, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio and uh, throw in uh, five bucks maybe uh, to our our little fund there. And if you win, five bucks for a pair of Slave Play tickets is probably well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ashley, let's get into the news. First up, phone rings, door chimes, <laughs> finally in comes company as yesterday at long last producers announced almost the entire cast for the highly anticipated broadway run obviously we already knew that katrina link and patty lapone would be playing bobby with an eye and joe ann respectively but it was also confirmed that my second ever guest on tell me more matt doyle will be playing jamie which is the male equivalent of amy so he's doing Not Getting Married Today, um, as well as Etai Benson playing Paul, who is the man so wonderful that Jamie wouldn't want to ruin him. Then we have Christopher Sieber as Harry, Jennifer Samard as Sarah, Christopher Fitzgerald as David, Nikki Renee Daniels as Jenny, Terrence Archie as Larry, Greg Hildreth as Peter, and Claiborne Elder as Andy. 
formerly April, the flight attendant. Uh, Kyle Dean Massey as Theo. That's Donna McKechnie's role, previously known as Kathy. And Bobby Conte Thornton as PJ, which is formerly known as Marta. The one role that was not announced yet was Susan, who is going to be married and then divorcing, spoiler alert, Greg Hildreth's Peter. Now, Ashley, you and I both together and separately, I said this on this show with James when we first got the initial casting for the London production, Mm. uh, but I know you feel the same way. I had kind of always assumed that there would be some sort of, of bisexuality to this Bobby. I Um, assume everything will have bisexuality. (laughs) You're talking to the wrong person. (laughs) Yeah. But when they announced that the Broadway production would not be a direct transfer and instead mm-hmm. would have some sort of differences from what ran in London, right. I was kind of hoping that we would have a non-dude mixed into the three lovers. Now, that didn't happen. It's Claiborne, Kyle, and, and Bobby. Um, mm-hmm. But I can, I can honestly, I, I might not like it, but I can honestly understand that choice um, a bit because of how patriarchally toxic you could drive a person crazy becomes when it's three straight guys mm-hmm. singing it about a woman. So sure. like, I, I, I get that. I would love it if there was a woman or a, you know, gender non-conforming person in that mix, but I understand the choice of that one. Sure. But the thing that I am most disappointed in is that this entire cast of 13 people that we know so far, there are two African Americans and one Israeli American who passes as white. And, that's it in terms of yeah. diversity. Yeah. Now, I know that there are probably some dramaturgical reasons that pretty upper middle class friends on the Upper West Side are probably going to be more homogenous than the rest sure. of New York. But I don't really care. I mean, no. this is the this is like the third or fourth Broadway production of this. You start exactly. to throw in, you know, the Philharmonic. We've seen this show enough. We understand. And it's, tw- and, and it's being updated. If, when it was originally yes. done, it was set in the 70s. It is not set in the 70s anymore. Right, it is Things are more diverse. Yeah, and I'm just, I I think that they could have and should have done better in that regard, despite the fact Agreed. that this cast that we ended up with is fantastic, and yes. I love so many of them. Absolutely. No, I mean, here's the thing. We're on the third revival of company, as you said. Third, third revival, fourth production. It's a musical with legs it has a long history a long line of success unlike the vast majority of Sondheim's other musicals and this is an incredibly highly anticipated revival and not just by me so first off you have a lot of wiggle room and room to do interesting things with the cast I mean this season we have two Sondheim shows going on simultaneously and for all the negative that I can say and will say about West Side Story. Oh yeah, we'll get to that eventually, I am sure. Yeah, and it's a lot, especially the casting of Amara Ramasar, as we've talked about, but the rest of the cast is actually representative of the story it's telling. I think what has happened here, unfortunately, is what's happening a lot, and it's like a diversity quota trade-off. You've changed the genders of the characters, so check, you've got a female lead, but then, wait, you've gotten rid of the majority of the female supporting characters, and now they're male, so wait, check, they're almost all gay now, sans her boyfriends. So I think then producers and casting directors can kind of wipe their hands of it and say, we're diverse, which is absolutely absurd to me, Upper West Side or not, that, you know... (laughs) You're going to produce a musical in 2020, set it in New York City, and perform it in New York City, and have it look so, I guess, homogenous. It's like if another hundred people come off that train, how many of them are going to be cis white men? 
<laughs> but, you know, as you said, there's absolutely, this isn't saying anything about the quality of the cast. I love these cast members individually. I think especially casting Chris Sieber is genius, who I adore. The problem with theater and specifically Broadway on the casting side is there's one or two casting agencies and really one with Telsey and company. So when we're looking at casting decisions, we're basically <laughs> looking at the decisions of a few people. And there's always the argument over if theater and film or TV is progressing quicker in terms of casting decisions. But casting directors are in abundance on the TV and film side. So the only way we're really going to progress and see more actors of color, more trans and gender nonconforming actors, more disabled actors, is if directors and producers of shows are advocating for them. Yeah, and, and I do want to point out one thing. We do not yet have any of the information on who any of the understudies or sure. swings or standbys are going to be. But I will note that the actress, and I don't remember her name off the top of my head, that played Jenny in London was the Bobby understudy um, for um, uh, Rosalie Craig. Right. That actress was was black. Nikki Renee Daniels, who is playing Jenny in New York, is also black. Right. So I would imagine that if they keep that consistent, that Nikki Renee Daniels will be the understudy for Bobby as sure, well. Sure, but it's the same situation as the Music Man casting. Like, okay, yeah. you're going to put in, what, four, six white leads and then have your ensemble be people of color? Yeah. No, I'm with you. I just wanted to make sure that that was out no, there. for sure. Um, you know, because I think that's important to note. And I mentioned, you know, Itai Benson is is I don't I don't want to speak for anybody in terms of whether they determine themselves to be people of color or not. But he's Israeli American. And, and generally, I don't think um, Israeli people qualify or consider themselves white, but he looks white um, and, and I think he could pass for white. And so I think that uh, there are some you know, some, some questions to be had for this, despite the fact that I'm going to love this production. I already know it. Oh, um, I mean, I've just... already bought my tickets. So, <laughs> it's, it's like that. And I'll be seeing it a minimum of three times. So yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll be there. I'm just going to be, you know, maybe crossing my arms about it and furiously writing about it in some corners of the internet. Well, it's like that thing where it's when your parents or teachers or coaches get mad at you um, and they're not angry they're disappointed. Yeah. And that almost hurts the worst. Um, I'm sure Telsey and company or whoever casted this doesn't care if I'm disappointed or not. But I'm more just dis disappointed no, <laughs> in the fact uh, that they had an opportunity to do something better. And they again, done they're, something better they're like they the did. they're like the only ones again. So uh, a few negative words and they're going to disappear. I think they'll be OK another day. But that's the problem. Like, yeah. I would like to see some more diversity of whatever form be it of color of sexual orientation of ability and like i said uh directors and producers have to advocate for that if nothing else yeah if uh the uproar about the casting of amar ramasar in west side story didn't have an impact this much less passionate uproar for company which i don't even think it's really an uproar but just no it's not really 
Yeah. It's not going to make a difference. But no. anyway, okay, Ashley, let's move on to other Broadway news. Yesterday, producers announced that they intend to bring The Who's Tommy back to Broadway in 2021 and that it will be directed, as it was originally, by Des McEnough, who also co-wrote the book. Last week, members of the original company reunited at the La Jolla Playhouse, where the show originated for a benefit reunion concert. Now, Ashley, I have to admit that other than... I mean, I know the broad strokes of the plot. I know, obviously, some of the mm-hmm. most famous songs. Yeah. But other than that, I've seen the film back when I was like in right. my early teens, so 40 yeah. or 50 years ago. I don't know <laughs> a ton about Tommy, um, but I know that you have thoughts and feelings. Do I? I really, I don't know that I do, honestly. I'm, oh, I, I thought you tweeted about it. I thought you tweeted uh, something uh, about this. I, my feelings of the day were all with company. I really don't. I'm in the same boat that I've, I've seen the movie. My greatest attachment with Tommy is that it was uh, the marching band show for the first season that I ever did. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but no, this is uh, James kind of when he was on last week kind of uh, predicted this and hinted at it, but I don't personally have any real attachment. I know there was a discussion on Twitter yesterday about, because as you said, as originally, this is going to be the same, this is the same director as the original production. So there was a discussion going on about, which I was, you know, tangentially part of, of, which directors came back to do the revival where the productions were actually good. So I guess that will, uh, that's yet to be seen for 2021 Tommy. Yeah. Uh, I, the quote, the tweet that I was referencing, you said a real choice. And that's all I have to say about that. For oh now. yeah. For now, but only okay. for now. <laughs> Everything in life is only for now. Exactly. Uh, All right, let's change subjects and get into last week's Broadway grosses as things came down a bit following the Columbus slash Indigenous Peoples Day weekend. The total grosses dipped 2%, $568,000. Only seven of the 29 shows that were not in previews last week saw week-to-week improvements. For obvious reasons, the biggest gainer of all 34 shows on Broadway went to Tina hyphen the Tina Turner musical as it went from one to seven performances, so naturally it was going to increase. But <laughs> despite not playing a full week, it still grossed $1,386,360, looking that it could be here for a while. You don't have to worry about missing that on your trip. Nope, I will not. <laughs> uh, Hamilton had the biggest decline at over 302000 and seven other shows saw dips in six figures, almost all tourist-friendly shows like Cursed Child, Phantom, Wicked, Beetlejuice, Mean Girls, and The Lion King. Uh, American Utopia also fell, but it opened and did not actually play as many shows as the previous week. Now, despite that 300k dip, Hamilton still led the way with $2,788,638, followed by a surging Moulin Rouge at $2,238,888. To Kill a Mockingbird came in at just under $2.2 and The Lion King at $2.13. Also in seven figures were Wicked, Ain't Too Proud, Hadestown, Tina, Aladdin, The Book of Mormon, Dear Evan Hansen, Beetlejuice, Frozen, Beautiful, Cursed Child, Come From Away, and Tootsie, which broke the million-dollar threshold for the first time since the last week of June. 
Now, looking at the other shows that are in previews currently, Ashley, for either part or all of last week, American Utopia brought in 618K in just six performances. The Sound Inside did 499,000 in a full week. The Inheritance picked up almost 114,000 to come in just north of 468K in only six performances. And The Lightning Thief did a paltry $242,000 in eight performances. Now, actually, there are only two shows that have started performances this fall. I'm not counting Moulin Rouge, which started over the summer, and that's doing fine. But there's only two shows that have started performances this fall that are considered Mm open-ended, and that's Tina and The Inheritance. So far, Tina's doing gangbusters, like we said, and I expect that to continue um, if I think, you know... We've, I think this is going to be much more in the line of Ain't Too Proud and Beautiful than it is Donna, uh, Summer, or Cher. Uh, but I also think sure. that The Inheritance will continue to pick up traction as word of mouth starts to get out. Oh, and yeah. re- reviews come out and their part one and part two schedules start to normalize. But other than the ones we've talked about, Tootsie, Mean Girls, maybe Chicago, I guess Beetlejuice if they get forced out for Music Man next fall is rumored. Maybe Frozen has a year or so left. I I don't know. But there's nothing to me that screams dire danger of closing. I could see Tootsie still closing despite this million dollar week. Mm. Um, uh, But other than that, like... I don't see much, you know, packing it up anytime soon, which is good for those shows and those teams. Super happy for them. For sure, yeah. But not so good for all of the producers waiting to find a house as soon as humanly possible, like Almost Famous and some other properties prepping for out-of-town tryouts. Yeah, there are going to be some shows that are just sitting around in the wings for a bit, I'm sure. Yeah, for a while there, I'd heard that Almost Famous had a theater almost locked up, and now it seems like that might not be the case as things are changing. Um, I'm not sure. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with those in the coming weeks, but... Okay, Ashley, let's wrap up the show with three quick stories. First up, on Monday, we learned that Clea Blackhurst and Stephen Bogardus will lead the York Theatre Company's Musicals and Mufti production of Cole Porter's Panama Hattie. The show will run from October 26th through November 3rd. Next, answering my previous requests a little too late... Uh, yesterday, it was announced that our dear dead drug lord will extend off Broadway through January 5th, which is what I had been asking for. I know. But it's coming a little too late, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to squeeze it into uh, my schedule. I was going to say, because it's I have a, filled up. It's not completely filled up. I'm still holding a few slots uh, for things that I am I am planning on trying to get tickets to, either through press reps or buying them. And I'm, I want to hold out as long as possible to see if a certain play with a musical will extend downtown ah, as well. Yeah. Um, but if I can make it work, I'm going to try to see our dear dead drug lord because this is one that sounds fascinating. Although um, some of the things I got spoiled on and listening to the Maximu review of it and they make me cringe just listening. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, um, it's still they're interested gonna, in that one. They're going to have to add on like a weird 4 p.m. performance Seriously. or something for Here, you. Here's the thing. Why don't more <laughs> shows vary their schedules? Give me a, th- a Tuesday matinee. Give me a Thursday matinee. Some shows have Thursday matinee. Sometimes you'll see a Friday matinee. You know, give me a 5 o'clock show. Uh, Cherry Lane oft- often does 5 p.m. shows on Saturdays, which is great. Give me some variety, people. I need to get in 37 <laughs> shows in eight days. <laughs> God. Seriously, why can't everybody just completely kowtow to my personal needs? It's true. God I mean, knows don't. actors don't need any consistency. Yeah, anyway. All right. <laughs> uh, and finally, screw them. Uh, and finally, 
they're protected by equity. I'm not. Anyway, Damn. on f- <laughs> I'm totally kidding, of course. <laughs> on mo- not really. On Monday, we learned that Mike Birbiglia as the new one will begin streaming on Netflix on November 26th. Actually, I did not see this one, but it feels like something that you would like. Yeah, I think so. I didn't get to see the last show he did either. If I recall, you didn't reali- really realize this was happening when it was going on, right? The Netflix filming? Is that what you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they did film it at the court, but it was something that I think they just did on the last day. Yeah. And and they didn't really publicize it too much there because he was then going out and taking this show on tour. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, but I've heard nothing but great things about the show. I love when Uh, Netflix does this. You know, I'm expecting they may do the same thing with Hannah Gadsby's new show as well, but... That's yeah. yet to be seen. I could see them also filming American Utopia mm. and, and stuff like that, where um, as much as Springsteen, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love and appreciate everything that Broadway HD has done for the community, but they just don't mm-hmm. have the pockets to make it work in filming things actually in yeah. New York. And Netflix certainly does. They are always looking to invest as much money as humanly possible on content that they own, Mm -hmm. which is a problem when everybody else is pulling their stuff from the streaming service to put on their own streaming services. And um, and stuff they own is increasingly large these days. Yeah. But anyway. All right. That's all we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right. You can find all of us here from Broadway Radio over at Patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. I did not mention yesterday, and I forgot that's my fault, that um, uh, we had over the weekend Jan Simpson's episode of stagecraft talking to will arbery from heroes of the fourth turning i spoke uh with kt sullivan of the naval mercer foundation and the 30th annual new york cabaret convention on an episode of tell me more and of course james et al had their latest episode of this week on broadway so check those things out now real quick uh, patreon uh, information here if you were listening to this episode not on the patreon feed you are not getting it until 8 a.m if you would like to get episodes earlier than that, you need to go over to patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. Emphasis on need. Yes. So you can get those as soon as they're published. Otherwise, you will get today on Broadway episodes at 8 a.m. So enjoy, everybody. Ashley and James will be back with you tomorrow as uh-huh. I will be singing. I will be singing the national tour of Les Miserables oh, uh, here boy. at the Dr. Phillips Center in Orlando. So have a Alrighty. great Tuesday, everybody. And I'll talk to you later this week. Bye.